Hey, and welcome to another episode of Braveheart Talks. I'm so glad that you could tune in, whether that is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube, wherever life finds you. Maybe you're driving the car, doing the laundry, or you've just pulled up for a coffee. I'm glad that you are able to join us and we are able to join you in your day also. Well, today is a little bit different because a while ago I preached a message called Preventing the Dark with a Healthy Heart. How you keep your heart right and your heart healthy to help you through the darker seasons in your life. You know, when we're talking about dark seasons, we're talking about times of uncertainty. The word darkness, it brings negative thoughts, fearful thoughts. We all remember, right, what it was like when we were children and how we'd be afraid of the dark. I was afraid of the dark. I mean, everything in my bedroom became a shape or an object that brought fear to me. And I would lie in bed and some nights I would scream until my mum literally came and put the light on for me. So anytime we are referring to the darkness, we're talking about times of uncertainty. It's when we don't know how it's going to be. It's when we can't see how it's going to work out. It's when we don't know what the outcome will be. They can often be times of darkness in our lives, times of uncertainty. But do you know that scientists have actually proven to us that darkness is not a real thing. Darkness is a deception. It's a perception that we have of something that is not actually a reality. And the reason they say it's not a thing is because darkness cannot be measured. Light can be measured. We measure light in watts and sound can be measured. We measure sound in decibels. But darkness can't be measured. Therefore, it is not a thing. So this proves to us that actually the darkness is an absence of a thing rather than it being a thing. And we all know, right, it is the absence of light. Where there is no light, there is no vision. And where there is no vision, there is not clarity. You can't see what you're doing. And if we were to apply that to our own lives, where there is no light, there is darkness. And you know, David wrote in the Psalms when he said, Lord, your word, the word of God, your scriptures are like a lamp unto my feet. He's saying, God, it's your word that brings illumination and gives me revelation on my life. It's your word that lights the way. And so with that in mind, we began to look and explore this concept using the scripture from Psalm 119, which is a really long psalm in the Bible. But actually, there's a passage in it that just talks, when David talks, he says, I incline my heart to hear your ways. And and if we just stop and think about that, to incline, it means I'm leaning upwards, I'm pushing into, I'm leaning on your word, I'm leaning on your ways, God. And, And I just wanted to have a little look at what that meant for us in our lives. What is it to have your life inclined towards God? And there was three points that we covered. One, be sure of what you hate. 
and I did say be sure of what you hate, not who you hate. Uh, Number two was to be sure of your hiding place. And number three was to be sure on how you hope. So rather than me just carry on and divulge into this, I'm going to give you the opportunity to listen back onto this message. I hope it helps you. I hope it blesses you as we explore this concept, preventing the dark with a healthy heart. And so we've been looking at this topic, singing in the dark. And any time that we're talking about a season of darkness in our lives, we're talking about a time when things aren't going quite right. We're talking about the time when it's not working out the way that we thought it would. We're talking about a time and a season when it's just not looking in our favour, when we're feeling a bit sad, a bit lost, a bit worried, a bit scared. There's something on the horizon and it's a time of uncertainty. That's what the darkness means to our lives. But I went on a little bit of a trip this week to think about what the darkness actually is in the natural. You know, the darkness in the natural, it's a deceiver, right? I don't know if you were anything like me growing up, but as a child, the dark would deceive me. The dark would play tricks on me. My toys became monsters in the dark. I would lay in my bed and look at the grim reaper hanging on the back of my bedroom door, which happened to be in my dressing gown. But in the dark, the darkness would deceive me to wholeheartedly believe it was something else. And I would lay there absolutely gripped with fear until my mom could come and turn the light on. And when she turned the light on, suddenly the fear left. Why? Because I had vision. The fear left because the darkness was gone and now the light brought clarity to what I was able to see. So I was no longer afraid. Do you know that scientists teach us that darkness is not actually a thing? It's not actually a thing. Darkness is the absence of a thing. It is the absence of light that makes the darkness, which makes perfect sense because in Genesis 1, when God was creating the earth, Before he ever said, let there be light, he said darkness covered the face of the earth. The earth was in darkness. So he brought illumination to bring visibility to his creation. So he said, let there be light. So darkness is not a thing. The reason darkness is not a thing is because darkness can't be measured. Light can be measured. We measure light in in watts. Light has a speed. Sound can be measured. We can measure sound in decibels. But but darkness, darkness has no wattage. Darkness can't be, it's not a tangible thing. Darkness has no decibels. Darkness cannot be measured because it is not a thing. It is the absence of something that creates a darkness. So if darkness Um, has no energy source, it has no wattage, it has no speed, it is powerless. Therefore, the only power the darkness has is the thoughts that we give it. It's the only power the darkness has. You know, when it comes to our life, David himself, he wrote this, because you do know the biblical characters were real people that went through some real stuff. 
just like you and just like I. And David said in Psalm 119, and we're going to have a little look in this psalm in a moment. He said, your word, O God, is a lamp unto my feet. In other words, he was saying, God, it's your word that is my light. He couldn't quite use the word, you know, these lights had not been created by then. So he called it a lamp. And he said, your word, oh God, when my life is in darkness, it's your word that brings illumination. Your word helps me to see what I should do next. It's your word that makes a confusing situation clear. It's your word, God, when I'm in the dark seasons of my life, it's your word that makes everything make sense again. And so I want us to explore this a little bit today because We've done this whole series, Singing in the Dark, and I know that God has given us the ability to worship our way through our problematic and our worry and situations that work adversely against us. Because there's a lot of stuff in life that is out of your control. You know, when it comes to issues with your health and, and sometimes, you know, relational issues, and it's not always within your control. That's when Singing in the Dark comes into play. But I also believe that we have a responsibility. Because I believe there's some dark times that we slip into, not because the enemy's working against us, but because of dumb choices that we make, unwise decisions. Sometimes it's a lack of discipline in our own lives and we can fall into these voids and into these chasms of darkness. And we need to do like David did and say, God, I'm going to lift up the light of your word I'm going to learn from your word, God, and I want you to help me see clearly what my next step is, what my next step is, so I don't keep falling into these dips of darkness in my life. So today it's equipping. Today I'm going to give you tools in your hand from the word of God to help you navigate yourself in life so you don't fall into some of the darkness that you fall into. And I've called this message, Preventing the Dark with a Healthy Heart. Psalm 119, it is the longest um, chapter in the entire Bible. But honestly, just spend a few days and read it in its entirety. It will bless you. And scholars believe that it is written by King David. And I just want to piggyback off verse 112, where David wrote these words. I incline my heart to perform your statues forever to the end. What he's saying here, God, is, is he's saying to God, you know what, Lord? I am making a decision to incline my heart towards you so that I can keep what it says in your word, so that I can obey what it says in your word, so that I can live my life according to your word. I'm going to incline my heart because this is how I want to live my life. I'm not making a decision with my head. Because you know what, God, every time I make a decision in my mind, it becomes a phase and a fad that I never see through. Every time I make a head decision, you know what, God, I fail. And David knew what this was like. So he says, this time, God, it's going to be a heart decision. Because we all know what it is, don't we, to have a phase or a fad. Yeah? You know, I'm going to get fit. So I'll get a gym membership. And I'm there seven nights a week. By month two, I'm on a sabbatical from the gym for valid reasons. Or you've got the cross trainer and it's taken up three quarters of your living room. But you've convinced your husband you're going to have the body of a 20-year-old by the time you're done with the cross trainer. And six weeks later, the island's hanging on it. 
because it was a fad and it was a phase and it wasn't really something. It was just a, a whim. It was a decision that you made with the top of your head. I'm sure we can all say we're sick to death of going through fads and phases in life. But you know, this can happen with your faith life too. When your heart is not inclined towards God, but your head gets carried away with making decisions. Because we come to a gathering like this and we get all whoop, whoop, hype, hype for Jesus. And we make decisions to follow him. And we believe that God's going to do something in me and God's going to do something through me. But, but then comes Monday and then comes Tuesday and then comes Wednesday and you've lost your temper, sworn at the traffic lights, you lied to your boss, kicked the dog and you're like, well, that's me, isn't it? I'm rubbish at being a Christian. I'm rubbish at this, just like I'm rubbish at everything else. I just fail all the time. But that's what happens when you make a decision with your mind and not with your heart. And David knew this. The author of this psalm himself, if you explore his life, I don't think there's anything that you and I go through that he has not been through. He knew what it was to stand face to face with his giant with his knees knocking. He knows what it is to go headlong into battle against the enemy. He knew what it was to have lustful thoughts and fail massively. This guy actually committed murder. He knew what it was to have a child die and he grieved and he mourned for that child. David's life was messed up. And I think in this psalm, he's saying, you know what, God? Every time I just try and do it out of my head, I just don't seem to be able to make it work. So God, I incline my heart. I'm making a decision based in my heart. The fact that the psalmist says that I incline my heart means that the incline is not the natural position of the heart. You know, when we're talking about a heart, we're talking about your emotional nature. It's how you think, how you feel, how you process, what makes you act the way you do. It's what makes you you. So in the Bible, when we're talking about issues of the heart, that's what we're talking about, the emotional nature of you. And so when David says, I incline my heart, it's saying that if this is something I have to do, then the incline is not the natural position of the heart. So I'm making a choice. I don't know if, if you were in church a couple of weeks back when we had Pastor Charlotte Gamble and she did an incredible message about living life on the incline. And she said, you know what? The incline is not the, the, the path that everybody chooses. Most people just want to do life on the straight and narrow because the incline takes effort. And the incline is sometimes a bit more of a life of solitude. But when you go up the incline, you have a different perspective on life. And when you go up the incline with God in your heart, you get a different perspective on your situation, on your circumstance, on the problem that you are facing. And so we have to make a decision that I am going to journey. I'm going I'm to take my heart on an incline, God, towards you. The word incline means to deviate from the vertical or the horizontal slant. Vertical and horizontal is not inclined, it's reclined. And do you know that's the place that most people do life from? Reclined. 
Okay, sirrah, sirrah, whatever will be, will be. It's come see, come star. It's, it might be this, it might be that. We'll just see what the day brings. We'll just see how it ends up. We'll just see what happens. I'll just see how I feel by tomorrow. It's life, laid back, horizontal. Do you know Christians walk out their faith journey from the horizontal, from the reclined, not the inclined, God wants to do it, he'll do it. If he doesn't, he doesn't. If he uses me, he uses me. If he doesn't, he doesn't. No, 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 no. I think God is looking for a generation and a people who are going to be drivers of their own heart, who are not going to be passengers to it, but rather than waiting to see what my heart tells me about how I feel about a situation, I am going to take control because you do know that you get the choice on how you govern your heart. It's your heart. Take control of it. Stop allowing emotions to tell you how you should be. Listen, your heart is your heart. So you can take complete and utter control of it. You choose how you protect your heart. You choose how you govern your heart. And can I just say, you choose who you give your heart to. None of this, he stole my heart. Rubbish, you give it to him. It's your heart. You take control of it. So when David's making this decision, he says, I'm setting my heart towards you, God. And I think it's something that we've all got to consider. Have you decided to set your heart towards God or are you just hoping that God is going to be there for you when stuff goes wrong in life? Because there's a decision. One is life on the incline and one is life on the reclined. You know what? We can't just hang around and wait. God, will you just bail me out? Will you just bail me out? Can you just bail me out again? No, no, no. God says, I give you my word so that you will do life on an incline so that it will equip you for what is to come in your future. You get to choose how you govern your heart. And so out of the heart is where you live your life. Out of your emotional state is where you live your life because you do know your heart can be tempted and your heart can be deceived and your heart can be broken and your heart can become fearful. And therefore, you have to have your heart positioned right so that when these things come against it in life, it is in the strongest position possible to stay on the incline and withstand all the emotional baggage that will come against it. But the biggest mistake people often make is thinking that positioning your heart towards God is a one-off thing. Like I did that the day I got saved, I positioned my heart towards God. Or the day I got baptized, I I positioned my heart towards God. No, 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 no. it's not a one-off thing. Every single day you have to set it, check it, Reset it, check it, set it, reset it daily, 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 sometimes even hourly. You have got to keep making adjustments in your heart. Just because your heart was inclined towards God yesterday doesn't mean it is automatically inclined towards God today because every day brings different pressures and different stresses and all of those things will want to bring movement in your heart to adjust the alignment of your heart. So every day, check it, set it and reset it. You know, I could never understand why every time a guitarist picked up the guitar, they tune it. 
Like I've all my life been surrounded by musicians, my dad, my husband, my, all my sons, and now I'm here with this phenomenal band. And the one thing I've noticed is that every single time someone picks a guitar up, they tune it. I'm like, you played it yesterday. What's up with you? What, like, what's changed? It's a guitar. But this is what I've come to learn. I've come to learn that there's a thing called tuning and there's a thing called fine tuning. And when you first set out playing the guitar, you're happy to strum anything that sounds remotely like the tune that you're trying to play. But the more of a skilled musician that you become, you become aware of sound in a different way. You hear things that you never used to hear when you first started out playing the guitar. You hear when something is not pitch perfect and your ear becomes sensitive to fine tuning and you know that it just needs altering, tweaking ever so slightly. And so it is with your walk with God. The longer you journey this faith life, the closer that you are to God, the closer that you walk to God, you are now going to be exposed to what is called fine tuning. And what you used to be able to get away with, you no longer can get away with because you now feel convicted. It's fine tuning. There are things in life that's going to cause your heart to move. And there's going to be things in life that you say, oh, you know, I used to do that this time last year. I was doing that. And, but now I just feel rubbish when I do it. I feel it's called conviction. It's because you're trying to progress in this life with God and he's not going to allow you to get by with what you got by with a few months back, a few weeks back. He wants you to fine tune your heart to him all of the time. I am told that the tension on the guitar strings alters according to the atmosphere that the guitar is in. If you have it in a cold room and take it into a warm room, the tension on the strings alter and it affects the sound. So the musician has to fine tune. Can I just say about your life, you are in different atmospheres, different environments, sometimes several times in one day. You might be in the workplace, you will be in your home, you'll be in the gym, you'll be in the pub and you'll be in the club and you'll be in the church and sometimes all in one day. And let me tell you what happens, you're around different types of people and it all brings movement in your heart and all gives opportunity for your heart to be misaligned and get out of step and out of sync with God. So every environment you get into and every conversation you get into, and let me tell you, this is not hard. It's not something like, am I in tune with God? Am I in tune with God? Am I in tune with God? It's, you know, you're not Dory. It's like you don't have to keep checking and keep checking and keep checking. No, no, no. It's like breathing. You're doing that every moment of every day. And it's so automatic to you. When you have a faith life with God and you're on that sincere, just journey with him. It's just like breathing. My heart, I feel that it's out of sync. It's out of whack. It's out of line. I'm going to pull it back. I'm going to address it. I'm going to adjust it. And so... Daily, we have to check ourselves and realign to the incline and incline our hearts towards God. So I just want to give you three very quick points before I finish. And how do you check if my heart is on an incline? Like, well, what am I looking out for? What do I need to be aware of to see if my heart is inclined towards God? Number one, be sure of what you hate. 
Now, I know hate is a very strong word, but hear me right. I said, be sure of what you hate, not who you hate. Be sure of what you hate. You know, David was absolutely clear on some non-negotiables in his life. There were some things in David's life, and David was like, these are non-negotiables. In fact, David made it his life's work to find out what displeased the Lord. And when he found out what displeased the Lord, he decided, I hate that. And the reason he hated it, and it states it in the Bible, is because hate is the only word strong enough to stop him from swaying, um, uh, you know, swaying to the other side. Let me explain it like this. In Psalm 119, verse 13, David says this, I hate double-minded people, but I love your law. What he's saying there, he's talking about double-mindedness, double standards, people who say they're this, but they're still that. He's saying, I hate that way of life. You know, I think what David was referring to is those who call themselves Christ followers, those who say, I follow the Lord, I'm, I'm all about God, I love God, yet they've made no alterations to their lifestyle. I think David was saying, God, I know what it is to be that person and I hate that about myself. I hate the compromise. I hate the double standards in my life. Uh, You know, I I swear or I don't swear. It just depends what company I'm keeping. You know, if I'm in the church, I don't. but, But, you know, if I'm out somewhere, I will. It's double standards. It's compromise. Sometimes I'm honest and sometimes I lie. It just depends on the company I'm keeping or the environment that I'm in. It's double standards. You know, um, I think David is teaching us here that if you want to keep heart that is inclined towards God, then you've got to hate that way of life. So before you decide who you want to be, you need to decide who you do not want to be because the more you can avoid what you hate, the greater um, or the easier or, or the better chance you have at reaching being the person that you desire you want to be. Okay, let me try and make this a little bit clear because it's not always easy to put a distinctive line between what you love and what you hate because sometimes we love and we hate at the same time. I know you're sitting there now as I'm talking about this and you're like, "Hmm, I'm not double standards. I'm like straight down the middle. I'm all in for God. Well, me too, honey, but I'm double standards too because we can love and hate at exactly the same time. Let me give you an example. I hate exercise, but I love the effects it has on my body. I love and hate at the same time. Let me flip it around the other way. I love chocolate, but I hate the effects it has on my body. I love and I hate at the same time. It's double standards. And we take that through our Christian walk with us. We love and we hate. Listen, just because the Bible says not to do it doesn't mean it doesn't feel good. So don't take the feeling as your yardstick. Make the decision you've made in your heart. David was letting God know, God, I hate this part about me. 
double standards, double-mindedness. I don't want to be that person. It's an ongoing frustration within me. But in order to see some definitive change in your life, you have to start to hate some things more than you love them. You've got to choose. I'm going to decide I'm going to hate this more than I love it. Because if you don't, let me tell you what God will do. He will let you overindulge until you become sick of the thing you thought you loved. I was seven years old and it was Shrove Tuesday and I ate way too many pancakes and I threw up big time. And I could not look at or smell a pancake for 10 years. They made me so nauseous. God will allow you to overindulge. He'll like, you want that? I'm not going to stand in your way. You, you do you, hon. Fill your boots. Go for it. I'm not going to stand in your way. And do you know what happens? We keep on doing it and we keep on doing it. And then we're like, I'm getting away with it. Like, he hasn't struck me down dead yet, has he? I'm still going. Like, I'm getting away with it. And we keep on going and we keep on going. But there will come a day when that which you thought you loved will make you sick. And when it makes you sick, then you will hate it. Then you will begin to incline your heart towards God. But let me just say, that way of life always carries a consequence with it. So better you choose at the start. I'm going to make the choice. I hate this more than I love this. And so... Where are we up to? Yes. God, you know, he will allow us to indulge. He'll allow us to take in more and more of the things that we desire. I don't know what that is for you. It might be food. It might just be that you just want to keep on eating. And maybe there are warning signs, but God's like, I'm not going to step in. You have to make that decision to yourself. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it is sexual relationships. Maybe it is overspending, but whatever it is, God will let you indulge until that which you thought you loved makes you sick. The second point is be sure of your hiding place. You know, life happens, stuff goes wrong, circumstances work against us. We're all faced with adverse um, problems and situations in our life from time to time. We cannot avoid these things. And when we talk about these things, like we said at the very beginning, these are called the dark seasons in our life. And quite often, the Bible talks about our trouble times. It refers to them as being storms in our life. Now, if you were in a storm in the natural, you would run for shelter. You would run for cover. You know, we don't live in a, in a, in a particularly stormy nation. But, you know, we have friends out in America who are exposed to storms time and time again. They have to make adjustments on their homes to be prepared for the storms. They have shutters on their windows. And when there's a forecast coming for a storm, they have to batten down the hatches literally to stop the windows going through. A lot of them have made like homes in their basements because that's where they'll all run and they'll go and hide in the basement until the storm has passed. So if you would hide in the natural, you know, if it was thundering and lightning outside now, you wouldn't stand in an open field. You would run for shelter somewhere. You would go and hide. So my question to you is, do you know when you're hide, where your hiding place is when the storms of life hit? Because where do you go and hide, you know, to protect yourself? 
Where do you hide your peace? Where do you hide your emotions? Where do you hide your state of mind? Where is it that you go and hide to stop yourself being exposed to the storm? In verse 114, David says, you are my hiding place and my shield. He says, I hope in your word, you are my hiding place and my shield. He did not write, because I know you, because I have a Christian, because I am a Christian, I will not be attacked by the opposition. There will be no enemy coming against me. No, no, no. He said, because I know you, I have somewhere to go when stuff happens. Because I know you, I know where to go when it all goes wrong. When I'm faced with disappointment, when I'm against troubled times, when the road ahead seems difficult, because I know you, I have somewhere to hide. I have somewhere to go with my emotional baggage. I have somewhere to go with my troubles. I have somewhere to run and take refuge from the storm. You know, you can't find a place to hide in the middle of a storm. You have to pre-decide when trouble comes, that's my hiding place. You don't see our friends in America, don't start battening down the hatches, bringing all the garden furniture in when the storm hits. They've pre-decided ahead of time, I think there's trouble and I'm going to start to make preparation. So what do you do with your life and where do you take it? Because if you pre-decide where you're going to hide, then your heart will not go on an incline. And time and time again, David refers to God as being his hiding place, his fortress, his high tower, his place of refuge, his safe place. You know, if you don't pre-decide that God is going to be your hiding place, you will find a hiding place somewhere else. You will find a hiding place in comfort eating. You will find a hiding place picking up the bottle of alcohol. You will. You will find the hiding place in sex, in pornography, in overeating, in overspending, they will become your hiding place because your hiding place is where you go to mask the emotions of what the reality really is. You want to hide away from what is really happening. And everybody has a hiding place. Every man throughout history, Adam hid in the bushes, Zacchaeus hid in the tree, Elijah hid in the cave, Saul hid behind the luggage or the baggage. And if you know your Bible, maybe you do, maybe you don't, but the prophet Samuel came to Saul and Saul's like this, he's hiding behind some big luggage bags. And Samuel stepped in and he said, "Um, no one else knows you're here, by the way, but God does. And God said, get out from your hiding place. And I want to say to you now today that God is saying exactly the same thing to some of you today. You need to come out from where you've been hiding. Stop hiding behind disappointment. Stop hiding behind rejection. Stop hiding behind past failures. And yes, I'm going to be bold enough and say it. Stop hiding behind COVID. It's done. It is what it is. You can't change anything. Stop hiding behind the failure and the disappointment. Some of you, you're 30, you're 40, you're 50, and you're hiding like children. 
And God says, you don't have to hide where you have previously hidden because I have provided a hiding place for you. In fact, it gives you an invitation in Psalm 91. He says, you can come and dwell and hide under the shadow, under the shelter of Almighty God. And when you hide under me, I will offer you protection. I will offer you peace. I will offer you um, defence. I will shield you. I will hide you. But he says, you've got to stop hiding in the places that you've previously hidden. And the third and final point to do a heart check to make sure that your heart is inclined towards God is found in um, the second part of this 114 where we've just read, you are my hiding place. I hope in your word. Be sure of what you hope in. Be sure. Be sure of how to hope. So the psalmist here, he says, he doesn't say, I have hope. He says, I hope. Because if he said, I have hope, it would mean that he automatically had something and we don't automatically have hope. Hope is a proactive word. Hope is something that you have to pursue. It's something you have to actively go after. You have to generate hope. You have to pursue hope. Then you can accumulate hope. And as you do, your heart begins to incline higher and closer to God. And so if hope is an action, my question to you today is what are you actively doing while you're hoping for what you're hoping for? What is it that you are doing to put motion What are you doing to aid and help yourself during the hoping season? Because if you're sitting at home twiddling your thumbs, just hoping that it'll all work out, you know what? God himself can't operate in that because he won't go against your free will. But when you show willing that I'm going to get up and I'm going to do something, God's all over that because he says, if you're being active in your hope, then I will do what only I can do. Let me explain. If the sky looks temperamental outside, if the sky looks cloudy, I can sit at home and I can just hope and hope and hope it doesn't rain. Or I can see that cloudy sky, put my boots on, pick up my brolly and go out there anyway. Still hoping it doesn't rain, but the rain ain't going to stop me. So what is it in your situation that you can do now? Maybe you're hoping for a clear bill of health. Take the medication while you're still believing God for the thing that you're hoping for. Maybe you're hoping for a restoration in your marriage. Go and seek out some wise counsel whilst it's not in the place that you want it to be. But put your hope, make your hope active. Make it proactive. Do something with it. What can you do? What are you doing while you're waiting to lose weight? I'm going to cut back on the biscuits. It's something that I can do while I'm hoping, while I'm hoping for God to bring a change to my circumstances. I'm going to do all that I can do. So if you can follow these three things, be sure of what you hate more than what you love. Make sure that you're hiding your life in Him. You've pre-decided that 
His Word, His counsel, His house is the first place I'm going to run to before the bottle, before the friend, before social media. He's my hiding place. And while you are in hope for something, actively do something. And I believe this, that your life will be sweeter Your relationship will be higher and closer to Almighty God because you will be able to make some wise choices, some great decisions before you fall into that problem pit of darkness again. Can we all be upstanding today, please? You know, every week we pray, earnestly pray that the Word of God would equip you. I don't know where my life would be without His Word. Honestly, I don't. Everything in this world is subject to change. People change. Your friendship circles change. Your job change. You'll move house. You'll swap your car. Your kids grow up and leave home. Everything changes. Everything, your body doesn't stay the same. Everything changes, but the Word of God changes not. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And His relevant Word when when David was writing it thousands of years ago, but he didn't know that thousands of years later, there'd be a group of people gathered in the heart of Liverpool, learning from the very Scriptures that he was writing when he determined to incline his heart towards God. So I'm going to pray over each and every one of us. And I'm going to pray that, you know, God gives us the strength to be able to choose, that we become mindful and aware. But then I'm going to pray a second prayer, because if you don't even know what it is to be a follower of Christ, and you're here today for the very first time, then we want to extend that invitation to you to get on the first rung of the ladder and rebuild that relationship between you and your Father in heaven. So Heavenly Father, God, for every single one of us gathered here, for every single one of us participating online, Father, I pray that as we go about this week, that there will just be that fine-tuning inside of us, that niggle, God, as we as we step to the left and the right with our mouths and we say things we don't want to say and we behave in ways we don't want to behave. And instead of, look, God, just feeling like a game of snakes and ladders where we're always the failure, I pray, God, that you would help us to keep a rein on our hearts. Keep our hearts inclined towards you. Keep our hearts in tune towards you. Father God, your word is full of blessings. Your word is full of, uh, it's full of peace and life-giving encouragement. And all this comes from a life that is determined to follow you, not a decision we make in our head, but a yearning of our heart. And I pray, Father God, that you will strengthen us from the inside out, God, to be able to live out your word in the mighty name of Jesus. And if you're here today, perhaps first, second time, maybe much longer, but you've never actually made that decision to become a follower of Jesus, to allow Him to lead your life. He wants to be reunited with you and it is one prayer away. And we don't take this part lightly, 
Because this is salvation. This is as an assurity of where your life is heading. Then I'm going to ask you to repeat this in your heart after me. Heavenly Father, I thank you that I find myself here today. Today I choose to incline my heart towards you. Forgive me, Lord, for my past failures, mistakes and sins. Today I choose to put my life in your hands and follow you for all of my days. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Let's worship.